Amen. I love that song. Someone said, we're not supposed to hold the fort. We're supposed to fight the battle. But uh, you read your Bible, Jesus does the fighting. Amen. And uh, all we're to do is to serve him. I want us to turn to a very familiar passage this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12. And as you're turning there... uh, People are asking the question, you listen to the news, what is the answer? What, uh, what is going to solve our problems? And, and I'll tell you, uh, the only advice I can give you is uh, don't ask Bernie Madoff to help you. Amen? Uh, don't look to Wall Street. Don't look to Washington, D.C. Uh, I like what our former president said. Government isn't the answer to our problems. It's the problem to our answers. It's the problem. Uh, Here's the answer. This is the answer, the Word of God. And I don't believe in just a simple pie in the sky, by and by kind of thing. Uh, The Bible tells us if you want to live a great life now, this is the answer. If you want to enjoy what's here on earth, this is the answer. If you want to enjoy what is in heaven someday for eternity, here's the answer. And we need to prepare our hearts to find the answers that God has for us today and tomorrow when we go to work. I'll tell you, you look around, it's hard to be optimistic. Somebody said the definition of a pessimist is someone who looks both ways before he crosses a one-way street. But uh, I'll tell you, in New York, you probably ought to be a pessimist. Amen? Uh, You just never know who's coming the wrong way. Uh, But that doesn't mean that we cannot be positive in our future and in our hope. Because my hope is not in the things of this world. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ today. And what I want to preach on today, if you like a title for the message, it is our reasonable service. Uh, We hear that word a lot. What is reasonable? I mean, most of you, if you're working... Uh, a good job, still have your job, your employer is asking you to do more for less. Is it, I mean, isn't that what's going on? I mean, somebody gets laid off. Well, we're not going to hire anybody. We're just going to spread it out. That means you get more work, but uh, they're not giving you the pay raise. I mean, that's just... And, and a lot of people say, this is unreasonable. And yet, uh, I will tell you this... If, if we don't change some things, there's a whole lot more people that are going to lose their jobs. And, and there's a big argument over what is reasonable and what isn't. And boy, I can't get into that as far as where you work, but I'll tell you what's reasonable with God. That's what these verses talk about. If we can settle and solve the issues between you and God, everything else will fall into place. um, I've been taking a a class. Uh, I'm working on my master's degree. We've been talking about that as a church for several years. I am studying church history. Oh, it is just such an incredible subject. And by church history, what we're talking about is all of those people who call themselves Christians. Not everyone who uses that name uh, is necessarily a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you just have to open up your Bible, and there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians that have never opened a Bible, hardly read a word in it. How can you be a true Christian if you don't study the things that Jesus left us? But I will tell you, If you want to study the history of the believers of Jesus Christ, true church history, 
There's one word that is going to be written on every page of it. Persecution. The first believers were persecuted by the Jewish people because they saw the danger that was in Christianity that it would undermine their position as the high priest and as the temple in Jerusalem and and people would realize they could worship God in spirit and in truth and they didn't need people and a building to worship God and our position is going to be ignored and we won't be important anymore and they fought against Jesus. They thought when they crucified him that the problem was solved. No, their problems were just beginning because Jesus had to die to fulfill the Old Testament demands of a holy God. Amen? Jesus gave his life as the sinless Lamb of God that we may go free. You study the history of the Roman persecutions and the emperor said, listen, you can worship Jesus all you want as long as you're willing to worship me too. And the Christian said, no, we can't do that. You don't understand worship is something that's special. It belongs only to God. And you're a man, you're a great man, and we want to honor you as our leader, and we're willing to pray for you, but we're not going to worship you as God. And the emperor only understood one thing. If you're not going to worship me, if you're not going to give me everything, if you're not going to ascend that I am the highest authority in your life, then you're fighting against me. And so Christianity became outlawed. About the time the Roman Empire dissolved under its own weight of corruption and and wickedness, guess who took over? The church. No, this was no longer the church that believed the Bible. This was the church that had been built by the Roman emperors. In fact, when the last emperor was running out of town as the barbarian horde came into town, he left his crown at the, uh, at the papal castle there, uh, which had not been before. And he said, you can, you can have my kingdom. That was silly. There was no kingdom to have. It was just Rome was being sacked and burned to the ground by the, by the, uh, Goths and Ostrogoths and the Vandals and all of the barbaric tribes that were coming in. By the way, the barbarian tribes of the time of Rome are the Europeans of today. Uh, I came from barbarian stock. Uh, uh, Part of me, the other part is Roman stock, so uh, half Italian and half Irish, so we'll just see what happens here. But the church in Rome which later divided into the Orthodox and Catholic branches, now began and picked up where the Roman Empire left off and began to persecute those who just wanted to believe the Bible. It's a pathetic history. But it's the history of mankind, for mankind has always desired to oppress other men. That is the history of mankind. There is only one escape from that cycle of slavery and enslavement, and that is the words of this book called the Bible. You study history, where people have embraced the truth of this book. There's been individual liberty and freedom where people have held on to the dregs and the bars of their old religion has only been more slavery and more subjugation of the human soul. God wants us to have freedom. But that freedom came at a very high price. It was God himself who died on the cross to give us this freedom. And as Paul is writing a letter to a church that was in Rome, and and by the way, Somebody says, who founded the church at Rome? Well, I can promise you it wasn't two people. It wasn't Peter, and it wasn't Paul. Well, well who, who, who did it then? Well, 
Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, read in your Bible, there were Jewish proselytes there. They were strangers from Rome. These were Gentile people who had become Jewish in their faith and in their practice. They were there to celebrate the Old Testament feast of Pentecost. They heard Peter preach the gospel. They got saved on the day of Pentecost. They went back to Rome and there was a church at Rome about 40 years later when the Apostle Paul was writing this letter. You'll just have to put it together from there. But because history doesn't tell us who started that church, but we do have a connection in Acts chapter 2 of people who became believers on the day of Pentecost, heard the message, and there was a church at Rome. You can put that together yourself, I think. Uh, I would hope. And Paul is writing them a letter. And in our verses that we're looking at today, he is talking about what is your reasonable service. What is reasonable in our service to the Lord Jesus Christ? And again, I just want to put this in the context of thousands of years of true believers in Jesus Christ suffering untold horrors, untold deprivation because of their service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was writing them and he said, now this is your reasonable service. Let's read the first two verses here. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your... What's the next word there? Can you read it with me? Reasonable service. Now let's go back. Verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, you're here in a church service on Sunday morning, and that is where you ought to be, amen? It's a good place to be. And I would dare say that if I were to ask most of us here this morning, the vast majority of us, if you wanted God's will in your life, how many of you would say, yes, I want God's will in, your, in my life. In fact, most people would say, I better raise my hand, this is church, I, I wouldn't want to go to church and say, I don't want God's will in my life, they'd say, what are you doing here? And that would be a good question to ask. If you don't want to serve God, why, why are you here? And as we look at these verses, we would say, yeah, I want God's will for my life. I'm willing to go on record. I want God's will in my life. How many say amen to that? The Bible says if we want God's will in our life, we must then fulfill this reasonable service. Now, let's just look at this. Paul uses as the foundation of his plea, that word beseech is really the strongest word in the English language. To earnestly plead is what it means. I beg you is the word that we have today, but begging always has a negative context to it. Uh, the word beseech has no uh, negative context to it as such. It just simply means with all of the earnestness of my soul, I am pleading with you, I am asking you, based upon what? The mercies of God. Now, I wish we could take the whole morning and just talk about mercy. It is such a wonderful subject in the Bible. It is the mercy of God that sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins. Amen. Mercy is one of those things that 
to receive mercy, you have got to be subdued or lose the battle. That's what mercy is all about. It is something the victor gives to the vanquished. God is the victor. Amen. If you are saved here today, you have admitted your failure and you have surrendered to God. And He said, I will give you mercy. When mercy is received, it always changes the person that accepts it. Mercy is what gets rid of any bitterness and any angst in the heart of the person who lost the battle. He now pledges to serve the very person that won the war. That's what mercy is all about. You can say that never happens in real life. I, I beg to differ with you. It has happened many times in history. Let me give you one stunning example. How about post-war Japan? They were our enemies. Today, our greatest ally and closest friend in the Far East is the very country that we destroyed. How did that happen? It's called mercy. And we together are moving forward and have been for many years to bring stability and peace in an area of the world that is full of unrest. The, that little nation of Japan has stabilized the entire far eastern part of the world. The communist Chinese are held in check. It, it's a wonderful thing that has been happening. That's mercy. It's an example of it in a human way. Paul is saying, listen, I'm beseeching you by the mercies of God. Do you remember the day that you surrendered your heart and soul to God and you gave up on living life your way and He saved your soul? My friend, don't ever get over your salvation. Don't ever get so comfortable with God that you would rather face Him having broken His law than any human being on this earth having broken theirs. Did we get that? You got to think about that. Sometimes man puts us in a situation where we feel that we need to break God's law in order to please men. Don't presume upon the grace of God. Be more enthralled with God's mercy that we would obey Him no matter what than subjugate our faith to a man and disobey God. That's the mercies of God. Amen? Now Paul says, if you want this reasonable service, there's a few things that you're going to have to do. Number one is you're going to have to go to a health club and you're going to have to build up your body, and you're going to have to get it perfectly fit and get on a good diet. And, and I mean, you're just going to have to build yourself into everything that a human being can possibly be. Is that what it says in your Bible? It doesn't say that ye present the body you want to have someday that none of us will ever get. Sometimes that's what we read into the Bible. Well, we'll present pastor. No, that doesn't work for you. It only works for pastor. It says that ye present your bodies. Plural. Individual. You know, we, we live in a day where people are losing everything. But you know something they can't take away from you? Your body. That, that belongs to you. You say, but they can pass all kinds of laws. Oh, you believe me, they're going to pass all kinds of laws controlling everything you do. Don't worry about them. You present your body, what you have, who you are, to God. Wife, 
Don't worry about fixing your husband up so he'll be presentable. You take care of yourself. Amen? Man, if you're married, don't try to straighten your wife out so she'll be pleasing to God. Take care of yourself. Amen? And by the way, teenager, you're not going to straighten your parents out anyway. You take care of you. Amen? It says that ye present your bodies. God's not asking for your abilities. He's not asking for your talents. He's not asking for what you do best. He just wants a body. He wants yours. He wants it at His disposal, not yours. He wants you to be there at His direction, not yours. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm tired of all these rules. I'm tired of listening to my parents. I'm tired of listening to my teachers. I'm going to join the Marine Corps. Now you talk about stupid. I'm sorry that is a crude word, but it's the only thing that describes that kind of thinking, is it not? Uh, Because the Marine Corps only wants one thing from you. They just want your body. They don't want your brain. They're going to fix that. That's what basic training is all about. You stop thinking and you start doing what they say, period. Because your life and the life of your crew, your platoon may depend upon it. You've heard any of our military men come back. They'll tell you, you don't have time to think. You only have time to do what you were trained to do. It's a good illustration. We get into so much trouble spiritually because we don't, all, we don't present our bodies to the Lord. We say, Lord, here's my schedule. Now, I got to work and I got to do this and, you know, we got to live and we got to... Uh, I'll give you uh, 2 o'clock Wednesday morning. I've got time for you, Lord, if I'm not asleep. That's not presenting your bodies to the Lord, is it? If you went up to your drill instructor in the Marine Corps after you've been in for 24 hours and said, I need a break. I'm going down to the corner store to get a bottle of soda. I'll see you in a couple hours. Um, Well, in the old Marine Corps, you'd pick yourself up off the floor. Uh, in the new Marine Corps, you would be arrested and thrown in prison or something like that. You're not going down there because you belong to them now. When we present our bodies to the Lord, He wants all that you have. He wants you. He wants everything about you. You say, but... But how am I supposed to straighten myself up and make myself please? You don't worry about that. You let God take care of that. He just said, present your bodies. Now, the next phrase kind of defines it a little better. Said, a living sacrifice. How many people know what a sacrifice is? From the Old Testament. We'll go right there. We'll let the Bible define this thing. A sacrifice in the Bible was always an animal. God never asked for human sacrifice. Only in one instance, Genesis chapter 22, he asked Abraham. But see, God already knew what he was going to do. He knew that Abraham was not going to kill Isaac. He wanted to illustrate to Isaac what he himself would do one day in the same place with the Son of God. Only there'd be no substitutes, there'd be no voice from heaven calling out, hold thy hand, do no harm to thy son. There'd be a voice crawling out from the earth, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
a sacrifice normally was killed. Its blood was to be poured out at the base of the altar unless it was the Day of Atonement when that blood would be taken in on that one day and sprinkled on the mercy seat in the darkness of the Holy of Holies to obtain an atonement, the Bible says, a rolling back of the penalty of sin. God says, I don't want a dead sacrifice. I want a living sacrifice. I want a sacrifice that is alive, that is going to continue living, but be under the control of the offerer just as if it were dead. There's verses in the Bible that speak to this very subject. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. This is what a living sacrifice is. It is losing your life. It is taking your desires, your plans, your wishes, your hopes, and is giving it to God. That ought to happen the moment you get saved. Amen? Salvation is a total surrender of your person to God. But being human beings, we have this part in us that wants to go back and take control again. Isn't that the way it works? How many of you get a little nervous when things start happening around you and say, we've got to do something. we got to do something. How many times have you done something only to realize that you wish you'd done nothing? Just wait. Someone else is in charge if you're the sacrifice. Amen? The sacrifice doesn't have the right to speak and put conditions on what is going to happen. The sacrifice is supposed to be at the complete control of the person who is offering the sacrifice. Now here's how you can tell the difference between a cult or a dangerous false religion and true religion. A dangerous false religion will ask for this kind of surrender, but it will always be to a man or a group of men or women. It will be to a human being. God says no human being is worthy of that type of surrender. The true religion says you, as an individual, must go directly to God and surrender yourself directly to Him. You say, but, but I can't see God. I, I need someone I can see. No, you don't need someone you can see. You just need to believe what the Bible says. Can we say amen to that? I tell people the only protection I can offer you that we're not some Jim Jones cult with Kool-Aid in the basement and all the nutsy cuckoo things that go on is the words of this book called the Bible. We will never by God's grace transgress them. Yes, we are human beings. We will sin. You stick around here long enough, somebody, something, myself included, will offend you and get you upset. Can I welcome you to real life? It's the Spirit of God that allows us to put up with each other, forgive each other, and keep moving in the same direction. Amen? Because if I'm a living sacrifice to Jesus, and you're a living sacrifice to the same person, to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to work together, not against each other. Because we're both under control of the same person. No human being is capable 
of that. Only God himself. That's why it says a living sacrifice. Then the next word is probably the most difficult word in the whole passage. Read it with me. Holy. Let's try it again. Holy. One more time. Holy. Isn't that a beautiful word? Only God is holy. But he tells us that he wants our living sacrifice to be holy. And by the way, in case you have any question as to the definition of the word holy, what's the next phrase say? Acceptable unto God. It doesn't say acceptable unto the pastor, acceptable unto the church, acceptable unto the priest. It says acceptable unto God. Now, there's only one way that you can know whether something's acceptable unto God. You've got to read His Word. You've got to match it up with the Bible. Acceptable unto God. God is the one that determines what is sin and what is righteousness. We live in a world full of all kinds of things. They say, there needs to be a separation of church and state. Well, that is a Baptist principle historically. The letter that they get the statement out of was a president, our second president, Thomas Jefferson, writing to the Baptist churches in the state of Connecticut on the separation of church and state. They were talking about an issue there that the state does not have a right to run the church. Nor does the church have the right to demand of every citizen, as the state does, allegiance to it. No individual church should have the power to put people on trial for treason against the church. That's what the Inquisition was all about in the Middle Ages. That is the separation of church and state. By the way, the state doesn't have the right to define marriage because God already did. The state doesn't have the right to define, redefine murder as abortion and make it legal because God already defined these things in His Word. The state doesn't have the right to redefine sodomy as an acceptable and, yet desire, and yes, even desirable lifestyle because God has already condemned it in His Word. You see, God is the one who determines what is acceptable and what is not. Somebody say, oh, you just go out there and you, you put these people to death, wouldn't you? You're just full of hate. No, not at all. I'll tell you who's full of hate. It's the other side of this thing. The Bible is full of love, not hate. Now, there's a lot of hateful people that have used the Bible to further their means. But the Bible says God will forgive anyone any sin, and it is our job to help them pass that. Amen. And in fact, the Bible tells me that you have the right to destroy your life with sin and go to hell forever if you so choose. I can't make that decision for you. But would I be honest if I stood here in a pulpit with an open Bible and lied to you and said, it's okay to go out and do whatever you want and God will accept you someday? That's a bold-faced lie. Every one of us is going to stand before God one day. And you can wave your U.S. Constitution and Supreme Court decisions all you want, but I don't think God's going to be very impressed. At the Nuremberg trials, the number one defense was, I'm an officer in the army. I was doing what I was told. Didn't hold much water. 
Because see, any honest person realizes that the allegiance that was given to a man belonged only to God. And that's why these men were capable of doing the inhuman and demon-possessed deeds that they did is because they gave allegiance to a man that belonged only to God. And you can find this through history. It's not only the extreme illustrations that we're using. The Bible says, And be not conformed to this world. That's why by God's grace, I'm going to say it again, over and over, there's not going to be a rock band in this church as long as we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Be not conformed to this world. We don't want the music that we use here to worship God to sound like it fell out of a nightclub somewhere. That's an insult to a holy God. It says, be not conformed to this world. That's why, by God's grace, we're never going to have a Broadway show in this church. Because we're not trying to conform to the world. Amen? By the way, let's just be honest. Do you think we could do as good a job as the world does? Why do we take a lousy, half-done attempt at being worldly and then offer it to God as something he should accept? That doesn't make any sense at all now, does it? Most of your Christian rock musicians are people that could not make it in the secular world. It says, and be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. God does not want you to think the way the world thinks. And uh, get settled in there and we'll keep moving. God does not want us to understand things from a worldly perspective. This is part of of being that sacrifice. God will change the way you think and understand. Some of you remember Ted Monsoor and Sharon while they were here, and Ted moved to New York City to become a rock star, really did. And he said, when I first heard the songs, he said, I thought they were, he said, I thought they were awful. He said, I just couldn't understand it. He said, but then I began to listen to the words and the message. And he said, and God changed my heart. And now I don't want that other garbage that was in the world. God will change your mind and the way you think. But you've got to let him. That's what being the living sacrifice is all about. It doesn't all change that quick. If God changed everything in your life that quick, guess what ha often happens? It all changes back that quick. God lets you struggle through things. He puts a little resistance in the way so that you can build some strength. We call it conviction. One of the first questions people ask is, uh, where'd you go to college? Uh, what kind of, who taught you what you believe about the Bible? Well, I really have an unusual history. I grew up in a church that was not a Baptist church. We just studied the Bible. I went to a Baptist college because it was the closest thing to the Bible I could find. But while I was at college, I realized and found out that I didn't have the right to ask Jesus to join my church. Because he already started his. Amen? That's why I became a Baptist. And I began to study this book called the Bible. 
You know, I get tired reading commentaries because it's what everybody thinks about the Bible. What we need to do is read the Bible and God will renew our mind. That's why it's going to take us, at the rate we're moving, two years to get through the Sermon on the Mount on Thursday night. Two years? Yeah, yeah. We, we get about a verse and a half or so. Sometimes we get that far on a Thursday night. Other times we, we don't even get past one little phrase. We want to spend our time and learn what the Bible has to say, not what everybody else has to say about it. Amen? And the way that we know that we're teaching what the Bible says is we go to the Bible and let the Bible interpret the Bible. That's how we can know what is acceptable unto God. That is how our mind is renewed so that when it says that ye may prove, hey, I can prove based upon this Word of God. We're going to have a baptismal service here in just a few minutes. I can prove to you out of this book beyond any shadow of a doubt that what we are about to do today is going to be in form and symbol every bit the same as what John the Baptist did at the Jordan River. Now, we don't have the Jordan River running through New York City. And if we did, it'd be so polluted you wouldn't be able to baptize in it anyway. But the body of water is not what's important. The picture is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? The picture is the death of myself. The total surrender of my life to God. Uh, I beseech you by the mercies of God that ye present your body a living sacrifice. That's why we let you up. Amen? Just teasing. Not trying to make our candidate scary or nervous here. Listen. It's a living sacrifice. Baptism in and of itself is somewhat of a humiliating ceremony to go through. No one likes to see what you look like with your hair all wet and everything like that. And uh, our robes are not stylish and all of those things. That's not what the goal is. The goal is obedience to the Word of God. Surrender to Him. Amen? And baptism pictures that. That's what's acceptable to God because that's what He says in His Word. Now, we could take... I could take all afternoon and right up into Monday morning trying to go through every scenario of your life where you could and should surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? Everybody would be bored stiff. They'd be asleep, miss half of it. I'd forget most of it. I mean, it just wouldn't, it doesn't work that way. It is a process of you daily presenting yourself. God, what do you want to teach me today? What do you want me to surrender today? Some of us could come up with a list of things we need to surrender right away, couldn't we? First thing is my temper. I keep losing it. But no matter how many times I lose it, I find it again because I keep losing it. You know what? God would like you to... If you were a true living sacrifice, do you think you would lose your temper? Uh, You couldn't because it belongs to... Jesus, amen? That's what being a living sacrifice is about. It's giving your all to the control of Jesus Christ. We've all heard stories of great sacrifice. A willing sacrifice is one thing. An unwilling sacrifice is something completely different, is it not? How many of us know of people who were tricked into giving things that they never thought they would get? But you can't take advantage of a person 
or injure them any more than an extorted sacrifice. That's what false, ungodly, worldly religion is all about. The Bible is a willing, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Let me ask you, what in your life, if you are saved today, you are a Christian, you know for sure heaven is your home, your sins are forgiven based upon the words of God, not any religion or ceremony or thing that you have done, but based upon the words of God, you have surrendered your life. Let me ask you the question, what have you yet to surrender to the Lord. Because if there's anything you can put in there, you have not reached living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. I don't know how many times I've heard over the years and even have said on occasion myself and asked God to forgive me for it. I I know what the Bible says, but... That's not holy. You don't have to be afraid that God's going to take advantage of you. I had one person say, but he might, he might send me as a, uh, uh, as a missionary to Africa. Um, no, I don't think you have to worry about that. Then they got all mad because God wouldn't send them as a missionary to Africa. I said, well, wait a minute here. You got to get things solved first. You surrender to God and then you'll be happy wherever he puts you. Amen? You surrender your life to God and I promise you it will be far better than anything you can invent on your own. I get a little irritated sometimes. People come up and they say, Pastor, you're just lucky. No, I'm not lucky. You don't know me. I'm the most unlucky guy in the world. But I'll tell you, I got into this book early. And God kept me from making mistakes that would have destroyed my life. What I want for every young person in this room is for you to start making the decisions now. Somebody says, well, Pastor, you're getting that point in life. It's midlife crisis time. I ain't got no time for a crisis. I'm sorry. I got too much to get done. I'm not worried about it. Somebody said, I see some gray hair. Yeah, I like them. They don't look at me and say, you're just a kid. No, I'm not. Listen. What have you not surrendered to God? If you're saved, you need to surrender to biblical baptism and church membership. That's the first step. Amen? If you're saved, you need to serve God God's way. Holy, acceptable unto God. That may mean you have to change what you watch on TV. I think it probably means you might have to change watching TV. But uh, you'll have to take that one for where it is. It may mean that you need to throw away some books and get rid of part of your library. Get rid of some DVDs and videos and things. Because they're not holy. They're not acceptable unto God. That's part of being a living sacrifice, amen? But most of that happens in our heart. And when we surrender that, guess what? Everything else goes with it now, doesn't it? And God determines what's acceptable. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves changed and we're no longer a part of that world.
in which we live. I can tell you how to win the rat race. Real simple. Stop being a rat. Serve God. His way. You say, but the good guy always comes in last. Well, I think it was Jesus that said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. I'd rather be last on earth and first in heaven than the other way around, I'll tell you that. Now, very quickly, if you're here today and you have not trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, that's where it all begins. It's a living relationship with a living God. Just like you were born physically, you need to be born spiritually. You got a body because you have a birthday. You need a spiritual birthday where you surrender yourself to God and He saves you. Amen? You can do that before you leave today. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we come before you and Lord, for those that have attended here regularly, we have certainly covered nothing new today, something they've heard regularly and something they've heard often. Yet, Lord, the Bible tells us we need to be reminded of these things constantly because of our human nature and our desire to live our life our way. Lord, I ask that you would show us that we would understand your mercies and we'd be willing to present our bodies, each one of us individually, that living sacrifice, holy, determined by your word, acceptable unto you. And Lord, that we would not be wrapped up in the doom and the gloom and all of the things that is going on in this world, that you would renew our minds and our souls and bring us forth out of this mess called a world to serve the living God. Lord, we pray for those that are in our midst today that have not yet surrendered their heart and life to Jesus. Lord, our first request is that today would be the day they would surrender to you. And if that's not possible, that you would continue doing the work that needs to be done, that soon they could trust you and know you as their Savior. We ask you to work during this time of invitation. Lord, that we would leave here different than we came. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.